What a good night to be on stage at the Phoenix Theater. It's really exciting. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I am very excited about tonight. We have Lester Chambers and Dylan Chambers here tonight, father and son. It's a musical family and a lot of history. They've had some good highs, they've had some lows, and they're going to talk with us today about life in the music industry. They've got an incredible future. What what, what Lester has uh, accomplished, what he's been through, what Dylan's been through, what Dylan hopes to ascend to in the future. That's what we want to talk about tonight. We got it all. We got it all. And I would like to point out... We have a member of, uh, I mean, one of my heroes, Lester Chambers of the Chambers Brothers. Chamber Brothers are legendary. And so Dylan and Lester both live in Petaluma. And Dylan himself is a musician, and he's part of Dylan Chambers in the Midnight Transit. So it's very exciting. And so it's just, it's an honor to be here with you guys tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate you. It's an honor to be here with the Phoenix and with y'all too. Well, let's let's (laughs) jump right into it then. If you don't mind, I would love to read your Occupy Wall Street statement for the people who haven't heard it. It's a good launching point for us. This spawned because, Dylan, uh, you wrote an Occupy Wall Street song. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, um, called Make a Stand. And um, I wrote it four years ago when the the movement started. And my mom and I thought how great of an idea would be to tie dad into the 99% and tell everybody his story in the musical world and took a picture with him holding his gold record over his head. And I posted it online. And little did I know, like the next day, it was shared probably three or 400 times. And it was like become viral and you know it was huge you know we were on cnn uh soledad o'brien show from it the day after christmas and just a bunch of people were flabbergasted to know that such a legend was going through such a situation so and it's a cautionary tale for you and for other young musicians so i'm going to read the statement right now it's very powerful this is you coming from you you held a piece of paper that said this lester chambers i am the former lead singer of a 60s band i performed before thousands at atlanta international pop festival miami pop festival newport pop festival and atlantic pop festival i did not squander my money on drugs or a fancy home i went from 1967 to 1994 before i saw my first royalty check the music giants i recorded with only paid me for seven of my albums i have never seen a penny in royalties from my other 10 albums i recorded Our hit song was licensed to over 100 films, TV, and commercials without our permission. One major TV network used our song for a national commercial, and my payment was $625. Now I am 72, trying to live on $1,200 a month. Only the 1% of artists can afford to sue. I am the 99%. Tom, you had some physical reactions while I was reading that. What do you think when you hear that? Boy, uh, number one, that... For me, uh, the Chambers Brothers was a part of the soundtrack of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I had to think back when, when we started preparing for this show. What was my relationship with the Chambers Brothers? Right off the bat, I've already made the phone call to my brother today. He's up in Oregon and uh, was not home to take the call, and he'll have to call me back when I will have mm-hmm. to apologize because, more or less, I stole his Chamber Brothers album. Oh. <laughs> so I was in ninth grade, and he was going to go on down to college in San Diego, and he right. was boxing his stuff up and taking some of it with him. I took Disraeli Gears cream, 
okay. and the Chambers Brothers and held it out. Oh my God! Uh, because you know, I, I couldn't live without that couldn't particular album. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And, absolutely. And when I took my first road trip in my van by myself, about the age of nineteen, the Chambers Brothers went with me. I was mm-hmm. able to make several cassettes from my albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Bang Bang and Uptown. Oh, and Wait in the Water. Ooh, three tunes that yeah. I could not go on the road without. And the Chambers Brothers took me across the country for uh, that trip. Started when I was nineteen, and I was able to come and go off the road for about three years in my wow. van. And the Chambers Brothers were with me all the way across. Wow, great. They have been a part of the soundtrack of my life and, and very exciting. So something I love about your guys' relationship, Dylan Lester, it seems like you guys are very much a unit, a team. We are. You help yeah, each other. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's how all families should be. It's it's yeah. crazy in America how so many families go away from wanting to, like, you know, care for their elders or care for their brothers and sisters. And, you know, majority of Americans split up and go their own way and don't pool their resources and their family values and make a community. And that's important in pretty much every other culture that comes to America, as opposed to living with your grandparents and your family and spreading the love and the wealth and the connection in the family and all that stuff, you know, so. He went on stage with me the first time when he was like four years old at Lincoln Center, and he swore on the way home from New York, we're driving back to Florida, where we lived at the time, and he swore, I'm never going to leave you, Daddy. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be with you all the time, Daddy. Wherever you go, I want to go with you, Daddy. Well, being on stage yeah. was so much fun. It's like, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm not getting rid of this. I'm going to keep doing this. I saw people cheering out there for me. One of the most amazing moments in my life was to see his response to how the audience responded to him. And you guys have continued super, that on, that you've super. shared the stage quite a bit in the last 10 years, correct? Sure, totally. Yes. Yeah, it's a beautiful yes. thing. So, and, and now I call him up on stage with me as a special guest with my band. I bring up being a team and all that because back to the Occupy statement that we read, I mean, there's been tremendous hardships. Yeah. Yes. And you've had to experience those together as a family, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely. Music is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yes. The music industry is less so. The, the industry of it is, a, is almost a horrible thing. There's no other profession, creative profession out there that you can get involved in where you get so, as an artist or a creative person, get so horribly screwed or misused, you know? It wasn't up until the late 90s when my mom was constantly fighting to try to get a statement that we finally even got acknowledgement and paid for royalties. I was sitting in a restaurant right next to Columbia Records and there was a table of five people right by me and I'm sitting there waiting on somebody to come. And I'm just listening to these guys talk and two of them were accountants and for RCA records and two of them were lawyers so they were asking the question how are we doing with the RCA bill with the building and the guy says oh my god lady saying the blues has paid for that three times over and billie holiday probably didn't see a penny she of probably it. she got loaded a bunch yeah and she got drunk a lot but she's she died suffering. Yeah. And her family probably didn't get anything. No. Today. No. Jackie Wilson, a man that had many hits, that made millions and millions of dollars, and he laid waiting to be buried for months because there was no money. And a bunch of us musicians put together a fundraiser thing and donated our time at shows to make money for him to be buried. You know, and it almost happened to James Brown. Yeah. Yeah, how bank, wasn't he bankrupt yeah. when, he, when he passed or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I think he was. It's, I yeah. mean, how bad can it get, you know? 
I guarantee you there's a bill somewhere for the brothers that should pay us close to two, three hundred million dollars if we could get it. As you said in your statement, you didn't get royalties for maybe 20 some odd years. 20 some years. How did that affect the family? Uh, well, um, many times growing up, we would have to go to church handouts to get food and things of that nature because we weren't on food assistance. And, you know, if my mom, who worked in the film industry, if she didn't have a job coming in and dad wasn't playing a show somewhere, we might go a month or two months or three months with like not having any money or income coming in or longer. And then, you know, knowing that you could go to Blockbuster and rent 20 movies that had Time Has Come Today as like the featured song, but we hadn't gotten any money from it. You know, then it becomes depressing and, and sad to tell your friends when they hear your dad's song on a, on a movie and you're like, oh, that's my dad. And they're like, dude, you must be crazy rich right now. You know, and you're like, well, no, they didn't get paid for none of that, you know, and trying to tell people that. And then oftentimes people don't want to hear your sad story about why you don't have money, you know, and they assume that you should, you know. Because then they start thinking, well, it's not true. You didn't do drugs. You did do drugs. Or you would have money. And I'm going, dude, I was born with cancer of the blood. I've had colon cancer so bad that I was in my fourth stages. I've had cancer three times, and I've won. God in me has I've won every time. If I had any money, it went to that. And never to mind that each time I got out of the hospital, I had the biggest Joneses you could ever imagine, yeah. you know, because they done kept me full of morphine. Yeah, for, right. But I never let it. It's crazy when we when we put this out, you know, how many people would send emails or, you know, postings on the page and whatnot that were like, oh, well, you must have not had a good lawyer or you must have, you must have not read your contract right. You know, and you're like, buddy, none of these cats back then got good contracts. You were fortunate no. to be able to afford a lawyer to come in and read it over. They'd look at you and go, hey, if you don't sign this, so-and-so's band right next door would love to take this deal. Back then, too, it's like it's not like now where you could plug in a little inbox to your computer and for two, three hundred dollars, have like you know, top-notch sounding quality music come out of your bedroom. You had to go to a studio that had millions of dollars worth of recording equipment to record an album, and they had to record it on the tape. You came from Mississippi, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys didn't have any money to no, do any of that no, stuff we, whatsoever. We, we scooted you know? out of town to be here. You know, yeah. <laughs> you guys moved to Los Angeles, right? Yeah, the we family. Moved, we moved to Los Angeles. And that's a crazy story too. They grew up as sharecroppers, like where they lived on indentured servitude land, where they didn't make money. They made paying off debt of where they lived. After the crop was gathered, you had to pay for the fertilizer. You had to pay for the seed. The guy barn would, animals, the guy, feed the guy, for the barn animals, and the you guy know, would look at paying you and, for your prop where you're sleeping, you know. And say, well, you did pretty good this year, old George. You're going to clear 50 cent. But not to worry. You can go and get all the credit you want at the country store. Just tell them you whose boys you are, and they'll give you. And then you that way, you're never making you any money, and you're staying like in permanent debt to whoever owns the land. It's legalized slavery, and pretty much, it's, yeah, of yeah. Of course, and, it is. and then they had to. They and had to. The record they had to, companies are worse. Yeah, kind than of doing the same the, thing. Than yeah. they are worse than sharecropping and pulling corn and picking cotton. There's a quote out there where you call the record companies the worst sharecroppers they in the world. Are the, they are the meanest. And, I mean, they don't care about you at all. What a crazy story, though, this is to true. grow up sharecropper. You, know? you come like from Mississippi to California, 
and you you know for the first time you're hearing music that's not country and western going <laughs> oh my god there's more different kinds of music out here and, yeah yeah out here and we start going well you could hear gospel in M- mississippi uh, for 30 minutes on a sunday and and you start going man we can sing because we were singing in Mississippi, right? When yeah. you guys first came out, you were doing a gospel We thing. were the Chambers Brothers, I a had gospel to come back. group. <laughs> I went back to find Wade in the Water. I had to go and find, uh, It was, I think it was on one of your gospel albums, yeah. and I think it was a live album. That's, that was at the Fillmore. That's it was at, at the, the Fillmore. Fillmore East. Okay, Fillmore East. God, and the audience was so in, yeah. so plugged yeah. in, and, and yeah. uh, you guys were smoking that night. Was that all on the same night that was yeah. recorded? all the Columbia stuff live was recorded at the Fillmore East. It was just, you know, it was like, oh, my God, you couldn't wait to get on stage. You know, and we were making a good living at performing. So there's been a lot of ugliness, you know, from the end of the Chambers Brothers to, you know, when you started getting the royalties in and all Mm -hmm. that. I mean, Mm -hmm. the health problems, Mm -hmm. you know, the homelessness, the the, Mm -hmm. the poverty and all that. So my question is, Dylan, Mm -hmm. does this stuff give you pause as you begin a career in music, as you continue trying to make a name for yourself in music? Well, it is really the best kind of lesson to be a part of something to see it firsthand and to experience it and see all of the aspects of how it could unfold onto you. And to know what to avoid and to know what to go forward with and to know, you know, simple things that are very critical that down the road, if you don't do, will make or break you. In our cases, we weren't lawyers, we weren't smart, and most of us weren't. Most musicians you know, back then were. Like you know, you're a young dude who's trying to make it and, and you have a, you have, you're talented, you're creative, yeah. you know, yeah. you're, you know, you're inspired, you want people to hear your music. And the only way to get heard back then only way to get heard was to get a deal to get because a deal. it's not like nowadays where you can you be know? like Macklemore and make beats in your room with your homeboy, yeah. go and start playing clubs with your beats. And then all of a sudden people are loving your music. You, then you have all of the cards to say, this is what I want. It never happened back then like that. Um, I have a question for you, Lester. Yes. You're a man of faith, right? Yes. Did your faith get you through a lot of these hard times? All of it. All of it. Yes. Believe in and having faith and knowing that there's a light on the dark side of the moon. You know, to clarify, I like clarifying, because nowadays it's so misconstrued with with how crazy some religious people are, and we have some family members, you know, who are like the born-again, young earth creationist type of Christians, and he's the kind of cat that's like, man, you know, Jesus was all about love, and do your own thing, and yeah. love, and religion is individual, and it's love, and it's what you should take and, and be positive with, you know. And it's like, he's cool, he's real spiritual and, and, you know, preaches it, but isn't like, you know, preachy to where he like starts thumping Bibles in people's face. And all of his brothers are like the complete opposite of him, where they'll start quoting Bible verses and things like that when something pops up in their life, you know, and it's like the complete like hypocritical thing to do, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah. My daddy he was not a man of fear. He did not fear no man. A man truly ain't nothing if he's afraid hold you back. It can take over your whole world, and nobody should live in fear. Correct, and nobody when you have faith, by the way, uh, you understand that what you might be afraid yeah. of in this world yeah. will not exist. It doesn't beyond. exist. You may have trepidation, but you maybe don't have fear as much yeah. because you know there is yeah. something great. Yes. You know that what's happening here is not the final answer. Yes. I mean, there's plenty of times where you could have just given up but you didn't and you credit your faith with that and i think that's a beautiful thing definitely most people that 
share this thing that we do. God blessed me with this talent. You understand? That's why you use it. And that's why I use it. I wasn't taught to sing. God blessed me. Well, you started in the church, didn't you? I started in the church. Singing gospel. But God still blessed me. That's why it's real for me. The unreal is that guy that went to school, that got taught, paid all kinds of money to learn how to play like Jimi Hendrix or anybody you can imagine. He can play it, but he can't know it. He know it, but he can't play it because there's no feeling. And you both feel that you were born with it. Oh, yes. totally. There's, yes. It's the cliche God. saying, man, either you have it or you don't. Either you know inside yourself that you have it or you don't. You had talked a little bit about, I'm talking to Dylan now, about mm. what it means to be in the family and what it means to, to work with each other and try to stand on the shoulders of the generation before you. Definitely. And how much your relationship with the family means to you. Lester, what does your relationship with your son mean to you? I can never say in words, it's the greatest the greatest thing in the world. Every man, every woman, every sister, and every brother should have a deal. Total pleasure, 100% total, being his dad. Ah. You know, it's never been a wrong moment or a wrong time or nothing of that nature. I did want to talk about one story I read. You did a Reddit AMA, I'm talking to Lester now, you did a Reddit AMA a while back. Right. Ask Me Anything. And there was a wonderful story about, well, maybe not so wonderful, about Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. And you recorded uh, the harmonica on one of his songs. Yes. Miles was notorious for not wanting to pay his musicians anything other than just like musicians' fees and not give them writers' credits or royalties. And uh, named Dad as the harmonica player on the album as Wally Chambers. And later when Dad comes up, like, man, what's up, man? You didn't even name my name on the album. Well, man, there ain't no, there ain't no musician named Wally Chambers, so... I ain't have no one that I had to pay, so. And no driver's license in Wally's name. <laughs> Wally don't have a registration. Nobody know Wally Chambers. So he purposefully miscredited you. Yeah. So he didn't have to pay hey, you. Well, at least I got to play with Miles. Right. So that was sort of an ugly thing about it. You know, we talked about the about yeah. the labels and the industry treating the artist bad. That's a, a situation where an artist very treats an bad, artist bad. Very yeah. bad. It opened my eyes up to the point to where any artist you work with could treat you bad. I I have two brothers that treated me real bad. Okay? Me they two of the brothers treated two of the brothers real bad. They convinced these people that they did all the writing. Lester didn't write nothing. A Willie didn't write nothing. So they get all the publishing, which is where the money is. Which is the key to all the stuff we've talked about is yeah. the songwriting credits. Which is the key to why I was homeless. Which and the very reason I was homeless, I haven't still don't get paid. None of the money is from the publishing. I get paid mechanical royalties. That's all I get, which is a side man. Like if you hire somebody to play and when the music play on the radio or TV or something, you get a mechanical royalty. That's the only pay I get. And I love my brothers dearly, but you guys sure did me wrong, man. You sure did me wrong. I sure have something. You need to get it in writing even when it's family. Yeah, you know? man, like I wrote, I hope write that song, Can You Dig It? Can You Dig It? The song? 
Yeah. I can dig it, you can dig it, we can dig it, yeah. they can dig it. Oh, let's dig it. Yeah. I wrote that. Oh my god. Well, gosh. no, the dudes, so the guys that wrote that song, he was always walking around going, hey man, can you dig grass. it? Can you dig it, baby? Can you dig it? Yeah. That was like something he was always saying. Oh. And they, they wrote the song after hanging out with him so much and hearing him say, yeah, well, I can I can dig it all the time. You know you where know? they got the disco beat? <laughs> Just listen. Think about it. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> on the drum. Oh, absolutely. On the drum. Yes. And you know what else? The cowbell. Yes. <laughs> As I, I listen. Holy cow. I was cow. the first. <laughs> I would think. To, to pick up a cowbell and play it like that. Yeah. Holy cow. And not you have it in like a loud kind of. Holy cow. Holy cow. Yeah, know, I realized as I was yeah. looking at the dates today and, yeah. and listening to these tunes, I go, "Oh my God!" Yeah. You know what? And, and because it's, I think it's "Bang Bang." The cowbell is so present in yeah. that tune, and no, it's no, it's no. it's the move, it's the shake, and uh, holy cow! And it's been recreated in so yeah. many ways, so many ways. But I don't know if anybody and, used and, it before and, then. And it made it through that whole disco era, and it was bass drum as opposed to the cowbell. Well, that, know, that four on the floor kind of tempo that gets your heart in your body. It's on yeah. the one, man. Yeah. It's on the yeah. one. Gets the people Every, going. Yeah. Everybody wants the one. And, and everybody, you know? exactly, it's provocative. Everybody and then everybody who the doesn't one. know how to move can easily yeah. kind of bop to the and, one. And my brothers thought I was crazy. You know, I would say, well, you tell that drummer to stop getting a little one going on in his life. You know, make that, keep that, yep. you know, going. Yep. As opposed to that. So yeah, I yeah. took the cowbell to it. Right Straight, there. Straighten it out. Drive it you know? home. Drive it home. Straighten it out. Drive it yeah. home. Yep. And it was a winner. Anytime he picks up the cowbell now and go tick tock, the people go crazy. Yeah. They still love that song. <laughs> and my brothers say, I wrote nothing, had nothing to do with the writing of the song. I'm going, dude, the first four bars is me alone on the cowbell. Setting the tune up. You know, what do you what do you mean I didn't write nothing? Family drama. Out of all the mess that's happened to me, I'm still a happy man. Thank God Thank I'm God. still a happy man. Musical high so far. When you look back on lives and music, both of you. We were blessed at one time to do a show with a group called The Soft Machine that Jimi Hendrix was producing, Janis Joplin and the Chambers Brothers. Beautiful. And that has and probably will be the highlight of my career on stage with the Chambers Brothers, that particular show. Did they record that? Yes, I'm sure they did. Have you ever heard of it being out there anywhere? Yeah, I've heard people say they've heard it. And also, to to hear the, that they got my name straightened out with Jimi Hendrix, I did several jams with him at Steve Paul's scene that was recorded, played harmonica on some and cowbell on some other. And one day we were coming from Mississippi and we were riding in the car and they're going to say, we're going to play a new song from the new recordings from Jimi Hendrix. And it started out with the cowbell. Boom, boom, boom. My brother Willie looked at me and said, is that you, Lester? I said, yeah. Nobody plays the cowbell Nobody like that. Nobody does it like you that. Bet. So that was a moment. You know, that was a moment. That album's been like renamed and reissued several different times, and it's like there's a couple of songs where Jim Morrison and Dad and Jimi Hendrix are all like playing and performing together, and it's live, and you can hear them all shuffling and muffling and this and that in between the song. And 
They've got one very vulgar one that they're doing on the album that's like, you know, talking about doing something to a, a lady's backside. You know. <laughs> but you know, but, it, but it's a casual, unpolished look. Absolutely. It's just—they're just guys, Dig you know. It. Yeah. It's passing they're, they're, moments they're, of our friends, you know. They're in their they're drunk. They're in their twenties. Very drunk. They're drunk. They're in their late twenties. They're or their mid twenties. They're yeah. rocking and rolling. You know, it's awesome. Oh, and you're getting it live. Yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. be live. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think I think my my all time favorite <laughs> moment would have to be when we did uh, the fortieth anniversary of the Summer of Love in Golden Gate Park here in San Francisco. I know that they try to say that there was under 100,000 people. It but was I sw- only supposed to sell 50,000 tickets. Yes. But yeah, I swear, as far as you could see, to the horizon of your eye yes. were people in every direction. And then in the, in trees, the trees were people. And then behind you was probably another ten thousand people. And you guys played that show together. Yeah, yeah. we did. We did four songs. Four songs. And when I when I picked up the cowbell to start playing time, and you could see the sea of people just like, oh god, yes, oh yes, they're gonna here do it. Comes. it. Oh, here, here it comes. It comes. And there's so many people that are like up front that are just ready to flash back, standing by the speakers, and they don't care, and their fingers are in their ear, and they're just like, here it comes, here comes the cowbell, and the roar of people just go. Wow, the ominous roar of people cheering and, and excited for the song. And how yeah. long ago was that? Uh, it was 2007. Oh, okay. And that was the first time since I was a little kid that I'd played in front of like, you know, more than 10,000 plus yeah. people. It was crazy. It yeah. was just absolutely phenomenal. But that makes you feel like a, a, that kind of appreciation I, for I what had, you do as a talent. And now, there was one time at the Fillmore East when we were recording that live yeah, album. Such a great album. I, the spirit got into my body and to me i had elevated off the stage and was above the audience floating around singing to the audience and when i would look back i could see the brothers so when the show was over i said to my brother joe i said dude did i mess up tonight and he goes now you were probably greater than you ever been out of, out of my body and spirit. That's what I'm talking about. You cannot yes. get higher than that. You can't and that get was, higher. There isn't a drug in the world that'll give you that. That's Mm-mm. happened to me three or four times. Yeah. You know, and it's just the most a transcending amazing moment. Amazing thing yeah. to leave your body, and I could point at people, and they would just. <laughs> yes. Spaz out. I love the Oh, that was great. That is great. I love the story of Dylan Age 4 at the Lincoln Center. I love the story of the Summer of Love 2007. And I, I that's uh, those are two East. very symbolic, beautiful Jim, moments. When you're sitting yeah. at a table with a couple of uh, of older fifties to hear talk about the Fillmore East, that's Valhalla yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> that's the story. That's the story. You know, singing with Janice and Jimmy. Oh, Jesus. Jim Morrison. That's the story. Yeah, Holy cow! So there's different generations and different ideas of how the highs work. But man, when you're talking Fillmore East, wow, that's yeah. the one. I wish that it was still around. Or yeah, I do too. Yeah. You know, I bring up those two moments, though. Dylan at four at the Lincoln Center in the Summer of Love, because yeah. those are two very symbolic very moments symbolic. in your guys' relationship. And so I'd love to hear from each of you, and whoever wants to go first can do that. Tell us about what you're working on right now. I'd love to hear about it. I am uh, working with the legendary producer, Narda Michael Walden. I'm working with him on a new EP that we're about to put out. Last year, I did CBS's Legends Radio. I was on ABC News on Memorial Day talking about my career and what I'm doing and how I'm trying to change the musical scene and bring some positivity to it while I'm doing it. Absolutely. And then Lester, what are you working on these days? Other than 
helping spread the word for Adele, I just started my own record label, Stomping Mud Records, and got my own CD out, which is Beautiful. Lester Chambers, The Time Has Come. Yeah. Dad's also going to start doing a lot of like acoustic, intimate shows where it's like him and a guitar player. Oh, spectacular. I yeah. mean, we've got, the, we've got the stage waiting for you. If you think you want to do it here, we'd be so honored. Well, we need to talk. Yeah. Okay. Well, now, yeah. now that we're all friends, we can yeah. talk about that it another time. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate you guys talking about the highs and the lows. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting. It's important to yeah. be able to be real with people who you're, you're listening to, to let them know that whatever they might have gone through in your life or their life, that you've gone through something similar. It really is. So I, yeah. I want to thank, thank you, Lester. You so I want to thank you, Dylan, for joining us. Yeah. Any, any yeah. closing words, Tom Gaffey? Ah, <laughs> This has been a huge, huge, exciting honor for me. And really, this is one of the few times that I've, I've been in the uh, presence of one of my favorite icons, and I haven't done anything totally stupid yet. <laughs> well, you I'm still got a few, you you still got a few minutes left. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm going to try and drop nothing on yeah. anybody or hit yeah. anybody with a door. Or, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and I'd like to once again invite anybody and everybody that want a Lester Chambers CD. It's available on Stomping Mud Records. LesterChambers.com Look it up and uh, pay for it and download it. There you go. And pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Pay for it. Well, good luck with all the new and exciting things you guys are doing, all right? Thank Thank you so much, you guys.